Welcome to the Avenue Community Church's podcast. We are a family of Christ followers seeking shalom in Memphis. We pray that you are encouraged by today's message. And as you listen, may the word of God shape you to be more like him. Um, It is Advent. And so if you're not familiar, um, Advent is a Latin word. Um, It is not in the Bible, um, but it is a Latin word, right? And, And so people many, many, many years ago um, who took that word, and that means come or coming, and they put together a liturgical calendar. So some of you all, if you're from, um, you know, Anglican, Lutheran backgrounds, Catholic backgrounds, some Episcopal backgrounds, other um, people who formally use the church calendar, there are scriptures and there are readings, and Trey, I'm looking at Trey, Trey knows a whole lot more about this, but there is a church calendar that kind of is marked by seasons and different focuses and emphasis in scripture. And so one of the ones that most of the Protestant world, I'd say maybe most of all the the church has kind of adopted. Everybody kind of pauses for Advent. And we take those weeks leading up to Christmas to celebrate uh, the Lord's coming the first time and to anticipate his coming uh, the second time. And so what we do is every year we pause. And those of y'all who've been with us for the last four years at the Avenue, you know this. We pause and we stop whatever series we did. We were... um, (laughs) <laughs> we were talking about our preaching calendar, I think, last week, and we were like, man, well, Pastor Tim, what are we going to preach coming up in 23? And we started looking at things, and they were starting to say, well, what books have we preached? Two. <laughs> in four years, we have preached two books, and that's it, right? We preached through Mark, and we preached through Corinthians, and so we, I look forward, how many of y'all look forward to us getting back into a book and just rocking that sucker? It's coming. It's coming in 23, um, but we always will pause at Advent, and we will try to engage our hearts and our minds as, once again, we refocus on what happened um, preceding the Lord's first Advent and the posture that we should take in our hearts and minds as we look to His second Advent. And so, everybody say, we're going to wait. We're going to wait today, and we're going to talk a little bit about Uh, you know, what it means to wait and to be a waiting kind of people. And that will essentially be the emphasis of these next couple weeks um, is while we are waiting. Everybody say, while While. we are waiting. Right. So um, did you know, I was, you know, when you're a good husband and wife team, you know, I learned my mom and dad, one of these days, I'm going to just take the mic and I'm going to hand it to Gina. (laughs) Gina said she's going to hand it back. Um, But, you know, where I come from, my dad will be in the middle of the sermon and be like, Linda, come finish it. Wouldn't y'all enjoy that? Wouldn't y'all enjoy that? No, you would not. You would would, would enjoy it. But no, last night while we were watching all of your sorry football teams get decimated, we got a roll time back. Um, we were preparing, we were putting the final touches on our lessons, and Gina was like, Tim, um, listen to this. I said, what, babe? She said, they say that if you live to be 70 years old, you could spend between six months to three years of your life just waiting. I said, what? I said, send me that, baby. Let me, let, me, let me add that to my sermon. She was going to use that for the kids, but I chose to add it here. Just says, hey, if you live to be 70 years old, that you could spend between six months to three years of your life just waiting. She also sent me some other fun numbers about waiting. 
She said, according to a Time Next survey, Americans wait on average of 20 minutes a day for the bus or the train, 32 minutes whenever they visit a doctor, 28 minutes in the security lines when they travel, 21 minutes for a significant other to get ready to go out. That is not a, that's, that something's off. Something's off on those numbers. 13 hours annually waiting on hold for customer service. Not if you call MLGW, that is quadrupled. Anyway, 38 hours each a year waiting in traffic. Those living in big cities wait in traffic more than 50 hours a year. About 37 billion hours each year waiting in line somewhere. Human beings spend about approximately six months of their lives waiting in line for things. It means like three days a year of queuing up. The average person spends about 43 days on hold with automatic, automated customer services. We wait. And I love what Jacqueline said. It's so profound. Waiting ain't fun. <laughs> and it's not. But that's what we are called to do. And I think sometimes we lose a little sight, lose sight of that. And so the whole big idea of these next couple, couple of minutes is to really engage you again on do you know who or what you're waiting on and are you waiting patiently? I think we just want to re-up again, right? Just run the diagnostic. Do you actually know what you're waiting on? And are you doing it patiently? Because we are waiting people and there's no way to get around it. Now, um, if you are, every Advent, it's, in, it's, it's, it's imperative that you engage some good biblical theology, right? Um, it's, it's essential for you if you just try to run up into Matthew or Luke, all the kind of Advent Christmassy accounts, and you just start picking up and reading without having any context for what you are being thrown into once you get in the Gospels, you're going to miss the whole thing, right? If you come up in here and you're thinking about uh, gifts and you're thinking about uh, the extra cranberry, y'all, I literally ate a whole pecan pie. That thing was good, though. I'm feeling it right now. I'm feeling a little sluggish. But it's okay. It was worth it. Amen, somebody. It was worth it. I waited 365 days for that pecan pie, and I did what I needed to do with it. But I'm feeling it right now. But one of the things we need to do is we, we have to become better Bible readers in order to really not leave meat on the chicken wing. Amen, somebody. We don't want to leave no meat on the bone, so we got to sit in that thing. We got to feel it, right? And so, uh, what you need to understand about the whole Bible, if you don't understand much, is the whole Old Testament is about waiting. Ever since Genesis 3, everybody's waiting on a rescuer. Everybody's waiting on the cure. Where's it coming? When's it coming? Who's it coming in? And so, uh, we learned this as a good downloading, uh, downlining. Um, many years ago I did, but this is just a fun way to kind of break up your Bible and kind of understand where you are. The anticipation. Oh, voila. These are five Christ-centered divisions. That number one, anticipation. That's your whole Old Testament. That is the whole Old Testament. Someone is coming, right? Number two, manifestation. Someone came. Amen, somebody. His name is Jesus. Shout out to Yolanda. Hey. I'm sorry. Anyway. Manifestation. This is the Gospels. We see Jesus walk as a 30-year-old guy doing his thing thizzle in the world. Number three, proclamation. The good news of his arrival, his ascension, his resurrection, his death that is being proclaimed throughout all of the known world in the book of Acts. Number four, explanation. 
the epistles, all those letters are explaining what happened and how do we live in light of it. You know, that's what all those letters are for. It's like some big event, some Kairos kind of event, right? This earth-shattering event has happened. How has it impacted our lives? And what are we supposed to do with the information in the news? That's the explanation in all the epistles. And then the last part of Revelations in 5 is the consummation, when it's all made right. When the final nail has been driven in in death and all the things are completed, that's the consummation. So as you read through and if you want to engage some quick Bible reading um, throughout the Advent season, that should help you, all right? So as we land here, essentially, you know, it's funny. People were like, Tim, what you going to preach for Advent? And uh, they were like, are you going to do, do with the candles? I was like, no. And are you just going to do this Christmas story? I'm like, No. I can do really anything in the whole Bible because it's all about waiting. It's all about Advent, right? Um, and so as I was reading uh, some of the liturgical scriptures that was offered, I think I was ha- hacking it off somebody's site. Um, I came across Matthew 11, and it's so crazy. This is John's disciples. They're jamming Jesus up, and they're like, hey, are you the coming one, or should we wait for somebody else? And I just got captivated by that line. Now, what you don't know, just for some book context in Matthew, what has happened is in Matthew 10, Jesus called his 12 disciples. And after Jesus calls his 12 disciples, he's kind of beginning in Matthew chapter 11, his public ministry, right? So Jesus now comes out. He's amongst the shadows. He's healing. He's doing his thing. He, you know, he's rebuking folks. He's doing that. Oh, you can, right? You know what I'm saying? He is demonstrating. He's teaching with authority. He's demonstrating power over the seen and unseen seen world over inanimate and inanimate objects. He is flexing. He's doing his thing now, right? There's no cloak. There's no veil. He's out and about. John's disciples have now heard about this, right? John is incarcerated. He's been in prison, John the baptizer. And so John sends his disciples, hey man, go go check up on Jesus and see if he's the one who we are actually uh, looking for. And so what you need to know is that uh, John sends his disciples, and uh, they get to Jesus. And as you read the Gospels, one of the key themes that is just constant, re- uh, it's not hidden, it is for you to understand and see up front. It is the unveiling of Jesus, who he is, the mystery, rightly identifying him. Theologians would call it sometimes the messianic secret. Jesus doesn't come right out. And people, people see him. They say, oh, you're a great teacher. People see him and they're like, oh, man, that's really dope what you did for them. Can you feed all of us, right? But they never quite hit the nail on the head and understand that he is the sunum bunum, right? He is the chief good. He is the greatest He fulfills the greatest need they have. But they're always kind of hitting aspects, but missing. They're never right hitting him flush on the head and rightly identifying him. So the big, one of the big things in the gospel is rightly identifying who Jesus is. We read the scriptures with such arrogance. We're like, I can't believe that they didn't know that the man walking around with the Air Jesus twos was actually the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I can't believe that they didn't understand that when he was walking by the Sea of Galilee that he was. No, y'all. What I think the scriptures is begging us to humble ourselves and realize is that it probably if we were back there, we'd Jesus be sitting next to us. We'd have no idea. Don't read the scriptures with arrogance. 
These people were no worse than us, probably just like us. Same needs, same wants, same hopes, same desires. They had families, they had disappointments, they had burdens, they had been waiting. Their grandmoms and great-great-grandmoms been waiting 400 years and got nothing on. How long these people been waiting for someone to come and rescue us? So here we find ourselves. Now, if you were someone who was astute, or if you were at least someone who was at least a, a good Israelite, then you would have known or at least caught secondhand somewhere these prophetic kind of promises, these prophetic qualities to be looking for to signal that, oh, that someone who they said is coming, maybe that's it. And I believe in, you know, they, in my Holy Ghost imagination, I believe John didn't waste his time. There were plenty of other pseudo-messiahs. There were a bunch of people running around thinking they were doing things, gathering followers, taking them to the hills. There were a bunch of those. Go read um, uh, Josephus and you'll see all that. But something was different about what Jesus was doing. So John, was, he sent his boys. He sent his homies. Hey Amen. Go check that out. Based on probably the prophetic distinctives and promises. Let's put these up. First of all, when you read prophecy in the scripture, 2 Peter 1, 21 just says, prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, Jeremiah starts his book off by saying, the word of the Lord came to me. And so when we read the prophetic scriptures, we know that these brothers have been inspired by God to kind of foretell what the Messiah would look like in his prophetic uh, distinctions and qualities. Let's see some of those. The things that we see in Matthew 11 that kind of key us to maybe this is Jesus, it says the blind are receiving sight, the lame were walking. And you can kind of see that. I put it up here for you, Matthew 15. Matter of fact, y'all take a little picture, do some fun homework. These were the things, it's like, oh man, this is what, what is mentioned of Jesus in Matthew 11, and, and, and you get to see the New Testament manifestation, and you get to see the prophetic writing that foretold it in Isaiah. So Isaiah prophesied in chapter 29 and 35 that the blind would receive sight, and we see it manifested. Isaiah prophesied in 35 that the lame walk, we see it manifested. Isaiah prophesied in 53 that lepers are cured, we see it manifested. Isaiah prophesied the deaf will hear, the dead are raised. And my favorite, Isaiah also prophesied that the good news, can I get a good news in the house? One, two, three. Yeah, that sounds good up in here. It's preached to the poor, right? So we have these things that were prophesied about the one who is to come. This is what he will do, right? What you need to know is that Jesus' coming represents a complete and full comprehensive reversal of the fall. Don't you see? The receiving of sight, the walking, the cure. It's just this great reversal of all the effects of the fall that happened when we, uh, our great-great-great-great-grandmama ate that and granddaddy ate that fruit. And all the effects of sin, we see that when the anointed one comes, when the Messiah comes, we begin to see a great reversal of all those effects. And all of these miracles that we see in the Bible, it's important that we, we, we take a look at these. 
and we'll talk a little bit more about it later, that these, we see literal miracles, literally people who couldn't walk start walking. That literally happened. Everybody say literally. We need not wrestle with that, whether Jesus did those things. That was recorded in our scripture for a reason. But it's not so that every time your mama gets sick, you go to that and you say, oh yeah, he did it, so he will do it now. Let me mess with you a little bit. Every time you see the miracle worker flexing and doing his things in Scripture, it is not an immediate one-to-one to say, oh yeah, he did it, I know, you know what, I ain't going to never have to worry about uh, my knee again in my life. It's not what that's saying. Every time you see a literal miracle in Scripture, it's pointing you to a greater miracle that he is going to do at the end of this thing. And aren't we so grateful that our God has never lost his power? So the same things he actually did in the New Testament, he can still do right now. And every once in a while, he go by to the doctor's office and he hears the diagnosis and he hears the prognosis and he sees the flat line and he sees the beeping. And every once in a while, he still reminds you, I'm still the same dude who was flexing on Galilee. I just want to remind you, I got a bigger plan in mind. You remember we preached that last week, right? Everybody in the roll call of faith died still believing in what was promised because God had promised them something far greater. Do you realize that Jesus has promised you something so much greater than being able to walk again? Do you realize that Jesus has promised you something far greater than your family member just being healed that one time? He wanted to give him back to you forever and ever and ever. Come on, man. Stop playing with your little mud pies, as C.S. Lewis would say, and go get, just wait on the beach, y'all. Wait on the beach. But aren't we grateful that sometimes he still chooses to flex. And that don't mean we don't pray for it. I like to get them prayers. You know why? Not because I care so much about you being able to shoot basketball again. Because your ankle messed up and Lord, I want to help my ankle. Heal my ankle, Jesus, heal my ankle. Brother, you are 50 and your dunking days are over. (laughs) If we engage miracles rightly, then what they will do is they will supply enough grace for us to hold on until he does his final number. It will just increase your faith. Every time you get the job that you shouldn't have got, every time, you know what I'm saying, you get into the school when you had several more people more qualified for you, every time you meet someone who you shouldn't have met, it, it, that is not meant for your joy and your expectation, your hope to terminate on that one thing. It's meant to point you to the, something greater that, hey, God still has his eye on you. He's still got a plan for your life, and you don't need to abort. Stay with it. 
Why the anointed one? Why this super amazing figure who is proclaimed that will come? Because what we need is what he brings. You know, as we start listening to holiday music, what the world needs now is... Oh, hey. Y'all need to get y'all ready on some more gospel. Y'all been listening to too much. I'm just playing. <laughs> you know, I just want us to temper us because it's real. Listen, I tried, to, I tried to advocate for myself about a year ago. I don't think nobody loves Christmas more than I do. I really do. I love the energy and the joy of all that. I love the gift giving. I love, I just, I love all that. But it is really easy to get swept up into good vibes. Now, I'm not here standing against, you better not wear red and green because you're celebrating the secular. You better not decorate your house because you're secorating all the commercialization of Jesus. Uh-uh, we ain't doing that. Keep that. But how many of y'all know you could, you could catch a good vibe around Christmas and miss the whole point? All your family could show up. You could have good food. You can get everything you want. You've missed the whole point of the season. You've literally missed the whole point of the entire thing. If you let those things eclipse what we are doing and what we are rehearsing, y'all. What we need is not love. What we need is not just peace on the earth. We need the whole hymn. We need the anointed one, and we need his whole plan for his earth to come in greater measure. And so what Advent does is every year it forces us to ask ourselves and do reflecting on a story that we have heard. If you're a Christian, some of you since you were born, but it forces you to come back inside of your heart and ask yourself, what am I most in need of in this season? And am I running to Jesus first? Am I running to him most often? And am I running to him most confidently in my life? Every year, it just kind of forces you to come back to it. Advent season is time for good meditation. You got to sit with yourself. What do I have my hope in? What, what, am I satisfied right now? And why am I satisfied? Am I satisfied because I got all my family near? Am I satisfied because I finally got the job? Am I satisfied because I finally got this, finally got that? And do you realize that those things cannot ultimately satisfy? They're not eternal. That if you put your hopes on those things, you will eventually be let down. But someone has come and someone is coming who will never let you down. And it just forces you to come back and ask yourselves those hard questions. The first advent brought a measure of the full ministry of this anointed one who heals the blind and makes the lame walk and causes people to see. But you know at the second advent, the one we get to be a part of, we're going to see the ultimate and complete plan finally installed. So this advent, do you even know who you're looking for? And are you waiting on that person? Do you know the Bible narrative long enough, well enough to know the story it's telling you and its timeline for how all these things will be made right. I love what Katie said. She's like, man, I don't see it. 
but I am having to wrestle with, is God still moving even when I can't see him? Am I trusting that he is even right now in the bleakest of states? Is he still making all things new? That's what Advent forces us to wrestle with. And so it's imperative of us. This is why I say, man, even if you're not in a church, find a church and just sit in there for a little bit, especially in this season, just so it can get your mind re-engaged so that you can recognize well. I love that haunting question, are you the one to come or should we wait on another? And so in order for you to know where you need to park, where you need to drop your anchor, where you need to put your trust, you have to constantly rehearse who is Jesus, what is he telling me that he is, and you got to know it well. You know, I watch all these espionage movies and spy stuff and CIA stuff, and you know, I love, you know, when they're getting ready to go undercover or something, you get that brown manila packet and envelope, and it's like, this is who you're going to be. And you know, before, you know, I was an FBI agent in my, Gina, when was that? I don't know. Okay, never. She said never. But anyway. But anyway. But you know, you have to rehearse these things. You say, okay, I'm a six foot three black man with, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But you know what I'm saying? Anyway. But you know what? I went to Columbia. You know, I have a wife, two kids. My name is this, my middle name. And you rehearse it, and you rehearse it. You have to rehearse your thing because you know if somebody can poke holes in your identity, you know what I'm saying? They have, they have you know, you've been revealed, right? I've told y'all this. I don't know where I stole it from. But you know how you are able to detect when you have a fake, fake currency? You can't study all of the fake currencies out there. You know how people detect when they have fake currency in their midst? They study the real thing so well. They don't study all 50 million fake dollar bills. They study the real dollar bill so well that when a fake comes, they can spot it. Uh, uh, Uh-uh-uh, not it. We have got to stare at the face and the promises of Jesus so that we can identify when fake things are trying to come in and steal our affection and steal our joy and our hope. Here's the thing, y'all. We're going to always be in danger of missing our visitation, wrongly identifying or choosing a lesser Savior. Even now, still susceptible. Even now, always in danger of, uh uh-oh, he came, I missed it. Wrongly identifying when Jesus was here and where I needed to, to latch on and drop my anchor or choosing something lesser than what the anointed one is offering. What I want to tell you today is Advent is not just a history lesson on when Jesus was born. It is a call to wait as those before us have waited and to celebrate his first coming, remaining confident that if he came the first time, he will come again. That's what Evan is. It's for us to re-engage our posture as people who are waiting on our promised one. So here's just a couple questions just to keep running our diagnostic. What am I most in need of? Sit, sit with that this week. What do I most desire? What am I most in need of? What, what is my heart longing for? 
And I would encourage you to move beyond the surface. Like, if you're like, oh, you know, what I most need is a job. Amen. Because what you're most afraid of is what? If you don't have a job, you lack security. And if you are a child of God, are you ever without a strong foundation? If you, are you ever without a strong tower? See, just forcing you to trace that thing down. You think you need that, but I love what the anointed one does. When he comes on the scene, he always is redirecting what people think they need, right? Mark 2, the paralytic, comes down. Hey, y'all, you know what I'm saying? Would you rather me fix your legs or would you rather me forgive your sins? Wait a minute. Of course, I want these. Ah, ah, ah. He's always re-engaging your heart and showing you that what you think you really need is probably not what you really need most at all. What you really need most is the anointed one in his ministry to you. And the good news is that he's come for you, y'all. He's come for you. What are you most in need of? Are you waiting and choosing Jesus daily? Are you trusting in Jesus or something else? Are you exemplifying Jesus, and do you honor Jesus with your daily decisions? As I was watching uh, the Today Show and they were doing the forecast for Thanksgiving travel, the commentator came on, he just says, hey, if you're traveling this weekend, get here early, pack your patience, stay calm, and carry on. And I think for those who are followers of Jesus, I think my advice is the same. Don't be in a hurry to go nowhere. Get here early. You're going to wait. Can I, just be, can I just tell you that straight up? We're not going to put that in the fine print. If you want to follow Jesus, you are a waiting people. Because what he has promised you, you know is coming in the future. He gives measures, but the big thing is always on its way. Get here early, pack your patience, stay calm, and carry on. I was telling, uh, telling my friends, I'll close here, that and somebody, uh, somebody hit me up yesterday. I think I was in the middle of finishing off my pecan pie. So it really was the Lord's grace to me. <laughs> Don't get sick, brother. Somebody hit me up, say, man, can you talk to me? I fell into some sin. Sorry. Started talking. And this person is a solid, solid believer. Trust them with my life. I trust them with y'all shepherding. This is a solid believer. This is a solid believer struggling with sin. She's like, man, you know, PT. I thought I was done with that. I thought I was past that. That's what's hurting me so much. It's been X amount of years since I fell in that type of way. And I said, man, you know, this is what I'm getting ready to preach tomorrow. And I've been wrestling with what does this historical anointed figure who come into the world to restore sight and to cause the lame to walk. How does that have any impact on us now? And I've just been wrestling with like, man, how am I going to apply that to us? 
And it came so clear to me. We want our encounters with Jesus to be a one-time application. I came to Jesus, I'm done. And the arrogance and the pride of us just be like, oh yeah, you know, I used to struggle with my attitude, but I don't struggle no more. Hmm, okay. I got victory over all of that. And I think what happens is, is that when we relapse, when we are soberly reminded that we are still sinners in a sinful world, it crushes us. Now, when you are godly guilted into better behavior, amen for that. But when you are crushed into despair, it really sometimes is just revealing your pride. Because sometimes you just want to stand on your own. I mastered that. I mastered that. I just want to offer some good news to the sinners and sufferers today. That the good news of the gospel and this anointed one who was promised to us in Isaiah is that the anointed one is eternal. And his ministry is ongoing even until its completion at the glorification. What I'm trying to tell you is you can keep coming to him. That's the good news of Advent is that he can still mend broken hearts. He can still open blinded eyes. He can still cause lame things to walk. And this is not like when you go to your local pharmacist and you get a prescription and you run out and you're like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I got to go back and no. You can keep coming to the anointed one as many times as you need. What do you need him for? What do you need him for in 2022? And hear me say on his behalf that he is still delighted to bring the acceptable year, the favor of the Lord to his beloved and to mend your broken hearts and to satisfy you in the most deepest places that you long but what you have to do is you've got to be honest with yourself and you've got to keep coming to him. That is the joy of this season. Matthew eleven six. 6, at the end of it, he says, blessed is the one who does not stumble on account of me. It's like, what? You came to do all these cool and amazing things? And then he just finishes like, yeah, blessed are those who don't stumble on account of me. Y'all know, everybody doesn't want to wait. Everybody doesn't want to hear what he has to offer. But the person who endures in him will be blessed. It's true. You can take it to the bank, cash the check. It won't bounce. So our only response to the coming ministry of the Lord Jesus is just to recall Hebrews 10 and 23. It's up there. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. 
Look at me. Let's not pass blame. The anointed one promised to satisfy your deepest needs. Don't blame your job. Don't blame your mama. Don't blame your daddy wounds. Don't blame your, where you grew up. Uh-uh. Jesus says, put it on me. If I can't fulfill you, sustain you, provide peace that is unexplainable and joy that is undeterminate, if I can't do it, blame me. But I don't know about y'all, but in my life, this all I have. Because he who promised is faithful. Can you wait?